0: our Savior, our Lord, and our life.
1: Beloved, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russ, and I serve as the host, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. And Frank, we are going to hit a very touchy subject today. We're going to talk about money.
2: Why is it so touchy, my friend? Wow. Well, John, I just realized I've got something to do, so you'll have to do this by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's funny. Money is such an issue. It'll divide a family. It'll divide a church. It'll divide a community, largely because I think of what Paul said. There's nothing wrong with money, but it's the love of money. And then you get the church involved, and then it's the forced giving of money. And That causes shame and bondage, and boy, John, I'm looking forward to this because, as you know, our heart, is podcast is to help people experience the freedom that's their birthright in Christ, and that would include the area of finances and giving, so I'm glad you've picked this topic. Indeed,
1: it will. Now, Frank, you and I have been around the circle a lot over the years. If I could ask 20 different people what their thoughts are about giving in the church, I'd probably get 20 different answers. Some of them would be highly charged, (laughs) pretty hostile. So we hear about tithing. We hear about giving. But there's a difference, isn't there, Frank? Why is it important that we start this podcast by distinguishing tithing
2: and giving? Well, as you know, John, tithing was a part of the law. And that's then caused a lot of trouble for people, because if God gave the law, then we have to follow the law. And so tithing made its way from the Old Testament economy into the New Testament economy. And there are churches around the country that harp on the tithe, 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 tithe. And we need money to run the ministry. And, and it becomes a, a real uh way to guilt people. And it creates a lot of bondage in people. And John, it's largely from a failure to understand that throughout the Bible, there is required giving, but there was at the same time, free will giving. And it's very important to understand the source and purpose of both of those. And I know you, I know you've researched this and we'll be going after that today.
1: Yeah, and you know, you press the button with me, Frank. You know, I kind of geek out on some of this stuff. And so being the type of person I am, I ask a question like this. Well, if giving is throughout scripture, what's the first time it shows up? And what does that first time tell us? So, of course, I go back to Genesis chapter 4. And uh, let me read that, Frank, because I think it's so insightful. Moses writes, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel did too, firstborn of the flock. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So, as I look at that, Frank, a couple of things just jump right out at me. First, giving has been part of our relationship with God since the very beginning. And when it comes to giving, God calls the shots, He defines what's acceptable, when it's acceptable what's not acceptable. And I see all that in this passage. In the first phrase, in the course of time, literally in Hebrew, that means at the end of a certainly defined time. So that means giving at that point was regular. And then they brought an offering. One brought vegetables, one brought flock. But it's interesting, Frank, there was no percentage mentioned. It was just a free will offering. But God did specify the type of offering. In this case, it was An animal sacrifice, a blood sacrifice versus a a plant sacrifice. And so from that, Frank, what you take, where do you see God laying the foundation for giving in that very first circumstance?
2: That is a big question, John, but we'll try to just put this into a concise manner. Obviously, God had given some instruction that is just not found on the pages of Scripture. Yes. And if the Holy Spirit didn't tell us, then we really don't need to know. And that's hard for those who have inquiring minds and want to know. But I think you said a real key word is that it was free will. There was no mention of a tithe, it was called an offering. It was a gift. And John, I believe with all my heart that what's going on here is a proper reciprocity, if you will, of what life is all about. God is the ultimate giver. He gives us life and he gives us our needs. And so when we give back to him, It's an acknowledgement to him that we received from him. I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you didn't receive? Well, then why do you glory as if you didn't receive it? So by participating in that giving, we become uh, conformed to the same image of God, that we become givers. You know, John, we've said this many times with the issue of love. There's a lover and a spirit of love and the object of love. But in order for there to be the completion of love, the object of love must receive the love from God and then release that love back to God. It's just the way life operates according to our design. We are receivers and then we are releasers. And so as we do that in this arena of giving, we are not only worshiping God, but in the process of becoming conformed to the way God works, we become givers. And I think that's ultimately summed up with Jesus' words, freely you received, freely give.
1: Amen. That was a great concise explanation, my friend. Thank you for that. And so uh, the tithe comes in, as we know, in Genesis 14, that's the first time it's mentioned, and let me just summarize what happened there. Abraham had just returned from defeating a bunch of kings. He rescued Lot. He got all of his possessions back, and he meets a priest of the Most High God named Melchizedek, just kind of pops into scripture. And Melchizedek tells Abraham, hey, you won because God did it for you, and that he blessed Abraham. So as I look at that, Frank, again, I see no mandate, Uh, melchizedek didn't ask Uh, he nothing was required but this is what i see when i look at uh, why abraham might have done that abraham knew god the promises had been made to him about being the father of a great nation also that his descendants would rule a vast land but god unpacks a little more detail about that promise and that hey when you're going to take this land, you're going to have to fight for it. But don't worry, I will fight for you. I will give it to you. I will defeat all your enemies. So I think as I look at this, Frank, Abraham receives a brand new revelation of God about who he is and how exactly he's going to keep his promise. And so he does yet again another free will offering, says here take 10%. So did I get that right, Frank? Or is there something
2: more that I'm missing? I think it's exactly right. It goes back to what we said earlier. Abraham received the victory from God's hand. He received the enemies being defeated by God's hand. And in response, he wants to give back. And in Abraham's mind, he thought, wow, 10%. That's what I'll do. And that's going to set a pattern that I know we'll address next week probably (laughs) from the New Testament, which is very clear. But your point is well taken, John. It was never required anywhere in Scripture. It was a free will gift. That's right. Now, I do have
1: one little bump in the road that I want us to address, want you to address. Hebrews 7 talks about the name Melchizedek, what it means and the fact that it really refers to the Son of God, Jesus. And so there are some out there that say that because Jesus is now a priest in the order of Melchizedek, we should give 10% because that's what Abraham gave to Melchizedek. So address that for our listeners, please.
2: Well, two things, John. One is that Again, it was not required by Abraham, so why would it be required by us? That's inconsistency. Two, it's a failure on the part of those people to understand the priesthood of Jesus. When he died, as we know from Romans chapter 6, we died with him. And when we did, Romans 7 is very clear that we died to the law. And that would include all of those laws in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, that talk about the required giving. And we're dead to that. We have a new priesthood, a priest who gives us life, his own life. And it's a life received freely. And it's a life that we respond to freely in our worship and giving back to him. So again, John, it's a failure on the part of those people to fully understand that the idea of covenants, and John, we've said this so many times. I tell people all the time, I'm just going to have to get it on a t-shirt and just point to my shirt, but you will never understand the Bible until you understand that God works in covenants. There was an old, there is a new, and the new made the old obsolete and the only way i could let this just do one gentleman jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful beyond all things that's old covenant new covenant ezekiel 36 i will take away that heart and give you a new heart so for a believer to say i have a desperately wicked heart is a failure on their part to understand that there is an old covenant that's now obsolete and a new covenant that is now binding. And the binding I use that term is that we must under the authority of God claim a brand new, good, righteous heart and agree with God with what he says. I mean, that's going to require
1: some frame of reference shifting from some people. I know it was difficult for me, but knowing the truth, those wonders, my friend, it sets us free, especially from this bondage. All right, good answer. Let's jump ahead now, and let's go exactly into the details of the tithe, because God did give a requirement to tithe. So, of course, being the geek I am, I did deep dives on all this, and I found, my friend, that there were actually three times that a tithe is mentioned. The first was just a tithe of 10% to support the Levites. That's in Numbers 18. And it was to support the theocracy of the nation of Israel. There was a second tithe called a feast tithe or a festival tithe. And you find that in Deuteronomy 14 and 16. And that was God saying, hey, set aside 10% and then use it to support yourself when you travel to the feast, which I think is really cool. And the third one was a a tithe for the poor. This was every third year, Mm -hmm. Deuteronomy 14, Deuteronomy 26. I found this was so cool because it's so important God mentioned it twice in those two chapters. (laughs) Uh, And of course, concerning the poor, which always are the center of God's heart, Israel was instructed to leave the corners of the fields. If they dropped olives, if they dropped grapes, the poor could have all those. And of course, all the produce from the Sabbath years. To go toward the poor. So when I bundle all those together, my friend, I get one tenth plus one tenth plus one tenth every three years. So that's 23 and a third percent. My goodness, that's a huge amount of money, Frank. No church ever asked for that. So what's going
2: on with all this tithing? Well, John, there again, you know, it's a it's a fun thing to do sometimes when you get into these people that are pushing tithing. And then you say, well, how much is the tithe? And they go, well, 10%. And I said, well, you're being incomplete biblically if you're really going to push for tithing. It's 23 and a third. And they look at me like I'm from another planet because they've never really dived into to the Old Testament and seen that there are distinctive, different tithes. And those were required giving. And here's the key to support the nation of Israel. It was a tax system, basically. And so there was the free will giving, Abraham, and there was the required giving taxation to support israel and so john when, when the church tries to put taxation the next question i have to ask them is are you saying that we're a christian nation in the church there's no such thing as a christian nation there's only the church and so we do have required giving and free will giving in the new testament the required giving romans 13 is support your nation pay your taxes, Uh, just like the Israelites paid their 23 and a third to support the nation. We pay our taxes to support the nation. And then right alongside that, just as Abraham gave free will from the heart to God, we in the new covenant give free will from our heart to God. It's just sad, John, that people are incomplete in their understanding of scripture and fail to understand Old Covenant, New Covenant, fail to understand the different tithes, fail to understand free will and required giving, and yet speak with such authority that they end up abusing God's people with guilt and shame. It's tragic.
1: Yeah, you said guilt and shame. The first thought that came to my mind was, some years ago, I heard a person when I was much younger in the faith, a very authoritative person in my life, say this, 10% is what you owe God. Anything above that is how much you love him. And so, ooh, boy, talk about guilt. And then, of course, he followed it right on the heels of that with, uh, of course, the reference from Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How have we robbed you? in your tithes and offerings. So Frank, this is another bump in the road that I think we have got to address. So unpack that for us. What's going on with Malachi 3? Why did God say what he said?
2: Oh, and, and John, I would add one before we do that. And that's the one of God shed his blood for you.
1: Oh, yeah, and, that's and a good and one.
2: You, and you can't give just 10%. And And you know, John, the thing is, as human beings... We all struggle with guilt already. We all tend to have a guilt complex. We don't need more guilt heaped upon us. And Malachi is one of the ones that the church uses, and it's got nothing to do with the church. Again, we have to go back to understand that Israel was a theocracy. They were not supposed to have a king. It was a God was their king. They didn't have an elected Congress. God was the king of the nation. And so when he set up the tithing system, it was to support the nation. So when they didn't pay taxes, they didn't pay their tithes, who were they robbing? They were robbing the king of the nation. He never wanted them to have a physical king because he was the king. He only gave them what they wanted to show them it's really not what they wanted and certainly not what they needed. So, yes, it's absolutely true. They are robbing God, but that's impossible for a Christian to do that unless corollary, I guess you could say, if we don't pay our taxes to the government, we would be robbing God because Romans 13, one says, submit to those governing authorities, because there is no authority apart from God. So he has given our government authority. So if we didn't pay our taxes in a sense, we would be robbing God, but it can't be a direct corollary to the church because we're not a part of the nation of Israel.
1: Yeah. Well, Frank, you mentioned something earlier, referencing an incomplete understanding of the tithe when uh, you say the true tithe is 23 and a third percent. Well, as I've thought about that incomplete understanding, I see that throughout much of the modern church. For example, they say the Ten Commandments applies to us, as does the tithe. and They say bring your tithe to the storehouse, the local church, but they don't follow the sacrifices. So they kind of pick and choose which parts of the Old Testament law they want. But I got a problem with that, my friend, because Deuteronomy 27 is really clear. Uh, Moses Hmm. says, hey, cursed is the one who doesn't confirm all the words of this law by observing. them." And so it's really clear. You can't divide the law into the moral law and the ceremonial law because you're making a division that just does not exist it's just incomplete understanding of what the law is what it was designed to do and frank as you said it earlier they're just missing out and they're cherry picking old covenant and mingling it with new and it makes a pretty messy message doesn't it
2: oh it really does john and the problem when you mix the old and the new is you actually destroy both of them. I mean, the law was given not to keep, but to show us we couldn't keep it and drive us to Jesus. Galatians 3:24. But if you mix grace with the law, it's going to lose that terror that drives us to Jesus. And if you add law to grace, Grace is going to lose its freeing power. And John, I I just can't say it enough. Incomplete understanding is a nice way to say you're believing a lie. I wasn't Uh, going to say that, my friend. Well, I try to say it compassionately. (laughs) Jesus said the truth will set you free. So if you believe a lie, the flip side of that is you will be in bondage. John, I got a, an example of this. Once I was driving down the road in the Christian radio station and, you know, they always have two people and they talk to each other. And the guy says, what's our verse for today? And the guy goes, it's from Matthew six. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. And the other one goes, oh, what a great verse. And the other one goes, yes, that's a verse to live by. And Ouch. I am screaming at the radio going, no, no. They are ministering bondage. Can you imagine laying your head on the pillow and going, oh, my goodness, if there's somebody I haven't forgiven, I won't be forgiven. And it's a failure to understand that that was pre-cross. Jesus spoke the words because he lived under the law because we weren't separated from the law until he died and we died with him. And John, I just got to tell you, we have Ephesians 430. That's our verse. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And John, you made a really powerful statement. I want to reiterate it because I don't know that our listeners are fully understanding it. And I know they're going to hear this from a lot of well-meaning, but misguided pastors. They will say, we got delivered from the ceremonial law, but not the moral law. The Ten Commandments are binding. Well, it's a failure to understand Romans 7. When Paul talks about being dead to the law, in the context, the commandment he uses is coveting. The Tenth Commandment of the moral law. And so if you're going to say that the moral law is still binding, then Paul made a mistake. And ultimately you're then going to say the Holy spirit made a mistake when he led Paul to write it. No, no, no. We are completely delivered from not only ceremonial law, but the moral law. And people are probably freaking out when they hear me say that, but we have something better. We have the completely Moral by nature, Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we have been given a completely moral new heart. And a heart just like God's. And we have something far better than an external code.
1: Amen. Indeed we do. Frank, I want to wrap this up now. And as I look over everything we've talked about, and we uh, dismiss the mandated tithe, and we just look at the free will offering, I get this as a boiled down digest. God wants his people to be givers, to give money, to give resources, to give time, to give of themselves. He wants us to care for and love people. He wants us to show compassion. And Frank, as I read the New Testament, This is exactly what I see and what we'll talk about next time when we jump to the New Covenant and the instruction on giving there. So my friend, wrap us up and then I'll close
2: us out. Boy, John, that is such a huge statement you just made. So maybe I wrap it up by reflecting on that. I have seen a lot of people over 42, almost years of ministry, who will write a check and believe that's the end of their necessary ministry. And they completely fail to understand that writing a check, John, is probably the easiest thing to do. Loving the unlovely, ministering to the poor, showing compassion to the hurting, forgiving. That's the real giving. We give our lives. I I, I think it's fascinating, John, that in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his son, and his son, of course, died. I think it's amazing, but the Holy Spirit did 1 John 3.16. So they're both John 3.16. And it says, as he laid down his life, so we should lay down our lives for the brethren. Our giving, John, is not limited to writing a check.
1: Amen. And sometimes the most powerful giving comes from a decision to give yourself. Well, friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast as Frank and I, admittedly, we've begun to kick some anthills with this topic as we've begun to discuss tithing, or really, is it giving? And so we invite you to check out our website, ourresolutehope.com. You'll find lots of resources there, all centered on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as our very life. Check us out on all of our social media feeds. You'll find us on Facebook, on Instagram, our ever-growing YouTube channel. Like and subscribe, ring that bell so you won't miss all the new installments that I put out there. And of course, we close, Frank, this time and every time with this reminder from Hebrews 6 that we have a hope as an anchor for our souls. It's a living hope. It's a blessed hope. You and I call it a resolute hope. So today and always, dear listeners, choose hope. Choose Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.